the testimony that all of you have presented is very interesting testimony and has some conflict as you have heard it. Um, I think probably a starting point is that all of us would agree that um, Indians, Alaska Natives, uh, Native Hawaiians and others have suffered great injustices at the hands of the federal government, federal agencies, museums and other institutions that have uh, removed the remains of their ancestors and, and uh, uh, I, I recall some years ago being involved with respect to the Smithsonian that was warehousing massive amounts of uh, Indian, Indian remains in their basements and their warehouses and uh, I became very interested in that. And I want to tell you one other just story of, of interest and, and it, it relates only tangentially to this. I was walking down in the hallway of this building about four years ago and I saw a historical document in, in a uh, little display about uh, Senate history. And it was a historical document about something called the Congressional Cemetery, uh, which really isn't uh, owned by or, or supported by the Congress, but it's called the Congressional Cemetery. And it's over here, just uh, not very far from this building. And uh, it said that there were senators and congressmen buried there from decades past in the past century. It's also said there were some Indians buried there. And I said to myself, well, let's find out if there are Indians from our region buried there and why and how it happened. And uh, so I had my staff do some research. And sure enough, there was a man named Scarlet Crow buried there. He's from the Sisseton Wapiton tribe, which is partly in North Dakota. And I decided to find out what had happened to Scarlet Crow. And he came out to uh, to Washington, D.C. with, I think, six or eight other Indians from his tribe. I believe it was 1862 to negotiate a treaty. And he was found dead under the Occoquan Bridge. And the death certificate said suicide. And they buried him over here uh, in the Congressional Cemetery in a far corner. Um, I got a copy of the Alexandria, Virginia, police records and saw that when they investigated the death of Scarlet Crow, this fellow who was in Washington, D.C. from the Wapiton Sisseton tribe in the 1860s, when they investigated his death, the investigators, police investigators, said that uh, he was said to have committed suicide by hanging, but in fact he was lying next to his robe that was carefully folded next to his body, and the branch from which they said he would have hung himself wouldn't have held a six-year-old child. These are the police investigators. seems to me it was just a cursory review of whatever records were available this man was killed, which probably wasn't too unusual back in the 1860s when people from tribes came here, and, and then he was put in a small grave over here. I've notified the tribe, the Sistan Wapiton tribe, with all the relevant information about this man named Scarlet Crow, who came to Washington, D.C., I'm sure with great intentions of, with his uh, tribal members of negotiating a treaty with the federal government and ended up being killed under the Occupant Bridge. Very unlikely he committed suicide. Very likely he was killed. And the investigation was stopped, and they put uh, suicide on the death certificate and buried him in the corner of the cemetery. And so my acquaintance with all of these issues is not only going over to the Congressional Cemetery and investigating that, but working with the tribe to think through the issue of burial grounds and the building of a bridge, uh, a whole range of issues, uh, working with others uh, 
in my service in both the House and the Senate with respect to the issue of the Smithsonian and other institutions that picked up uh, remains of uh, Native Americans and, and warehoused them. This is, this is a very emotional issue, and it's a spiritual issue. And I, I find it really intellectually interesting, obviously, to hear the different views today. Um, and and, it's, and it's, it's difficult. It's, it's not an easy issue to deal with because you're dealing with spiritual issues here. And, and uh, So let me ask the question. Uh, let me start with... Uh, Ms. Barron, am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes, you are. Ms. Barron and Mr. Bender, I'd, I'd assume that you probably uh, knew each other and were long-standing uh, advocates on different sides of this issue. Um, Ms. Barron, um, you expressed disagreement with Mr. Bender. Let me have Mr. Bender respond to your disagreement, and then okay. let's have a discussion about that. Mr. Bender? Yeah, the reason we haven't met, I think, is because I have not been an advocate on this issue. My my uh, contact with it really stopped when the legislation was approved. I testified before the committee prior to the legislation's enactment in my capacity as a facilitator of national dialogue. So I have not been involved. My, my, my point here was that the Ninth Circuit decision is a, a, an erroneous construction of the statute as I understood it at the time it was enacted. And the statute was a compromise, as everybody has said. A couple of things in response to what Ms. Barron said. Scientific people are not excluded from the process of deciding what should be done with unaffiliated remains. The review committee contains seven members. <clears throat> three of them are Indians, and three of them are nominated by museums and the scientific community. Um, that is the way the scientific community is guaranteed a consultation with regard to un, uh, remains that are not connected with a present-day tribe. Those remains are to be disposed of in the way that the review committee says, and the review committee has a very substantial scientific representation. Um, but what the proposal is what the Ninth Circuit has done, and if you don't change the Ninth Circuit decision, what's going to happen is not that scientists are going to be excluded, but that Indians are going to be excluded from the process because there are three Indians on that committee also. That's the chance of the Indian community to have some say in what should happen to these prehistoric remains that are not affiliated with any current tribe. If the Ninth Circuit decision is correct, Indians will not be involved in that process. And the most important thing that NAGPRA did was to include Indians in the process. For example, when <clears throat> museums are told to do um, an inventory, this is uh, the inventory section, section 3003, they're told to do an inventory of Native American things and tell the tribes what they have. If unaffiliated, remains that are unaffiliated with the current tribe are not Native American, they won't even tell the tribes they have them. That's wrong. That is exactly contrary to what everybody at the time wanted NAGPRA to do. It wanted NAGPRA to include Indians in the process, not to exclude them. So that's the basic problem with the Ninth Circuit decision. And it, 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 reversing the Ninth Circuit decision does not exclude scientists because they are included in the review committee. Ms. Barron? As you can see, I'm 
ready to go here. Let me tell you what that guarantee meant to us nine years ago, and I think that will give you a sense of why the Ninth Circuit was outraged, why the Federal District Court for the District of Oregon was outraged, and why, they, why that court ultimately concluded that the government had acted in bad faith uh, and was consistently biased. Nine years ago, on July 26th, the Kennewick man's skeleton was discovered. He was, uh, his remains were collected by an anthropologist, Dr. Chatters, and Dr. Chatters initially thought that the remains may very well have been a Caucasian settler of the area until he saw the stone um, spear point in the hip bone of, of the skeleton. Uh, and until a, an early radiocarbon dating showed that he was incredibly old, 9,000 years old, uh, Dr. Chatters was in, in immediate consultation with Dr. Owsley at the Smithsonian, who is one of the world's experts in uh, these ancient remains. Uh, the Army Corps of Engineers got wind of it, learned of discovery, the discovery because Dr. Chatters had had to obtain a, a permit to excavate the remains, and they seized the skeleton. And from that point forward, the government uh, clamped down its lid on everything that was, happen was happening. Our clients didn't march into court just because they wanted to get, it, get themselves involved in an almost decade-long legal battle. But they started writing letters saying, let me explain what this means. Let me tell you what it means to find an almost complete 9,000-year-old skeleton in this country. And not only were they rebuffed, they, they barely had an acknowledgement that, that, they, that they had even written. They attempted to discuss this issue with the government, but were closed out. Then the Army Corps of Engineers started creating the documents that we later saw as the administrative record, and I'm going to quote exactly directly from the Army Corps of Engineers. I told him, referring to um, one of the tribal representatives, we will do what the tribes decide to do with the remains, but that we will not involve ourselves in that decision. I assured him that we are working under the assumption the decision will be what the Umatilla have asked for. One of the claims that we brought in the, Ken in the ultimately in the Kennewick Man litigation was a denial of due process to our clients. And one of the issues in the court decision was a finding by the federal district court at the trial court level and later, uh, later affirmed by the, the Ninth Circuit not that it was wrong to consult with the tribes, but that it was wrong to close us out of the process because the skeleton was not Native American to begin with. This is an ancient person from possibly Polynesian who, Polynesia who came to these shores. He's not an ancestral to uh, current-day tribes. So when we finally concluded at the trial court level, sort of the middle part of this process, the trial court actually wrote that the administrative record from these government agencies, the Army Corps of Engineers and subsequently Department of Interior, establishes that the agency was consistently biased, acted with obvious disregard for even the appearance of neutrality, and predetermined the outcome of critical decisions, including the ultimate disposition of the remains. They jumped to a decision without even knowing what they had. Our battle with the government has never been over an, an effort to exclude the tribes from this process, but we had an anthropological treasure in this, found in this country, and it was going to go back into the ground without ever allowing us to teach anything. Ms. Barron, I don't want you to re-argue the case, uh, but I appreciate, uh, sure. appreciate your comments. Um, let me ask Mr. Echohawk. 
Um, and I think from from what I've learned from the witnesses, including Ms. Barron, I think that, there, that there's a, a, a default position assumed in some of the testimony here that human remains should be, shall be, or will be considered tribal indigenous people as a kind of a default position. Is, and and if, that, if that's the case, especially with the proposed amendment, if that's the case, then uh, if, if tomorrow someone finds the remains of, of uh, a person that was judged to be t living 12,000 years ago, a scientific treasure trove of information about human life then, um, would would because of cultural issues and and other concerns would there be a preclusion of the study of those remains? Not necessarily, uh, Senator. Uh, <clears throat> if the uh, amendment goes forward to preserve the uh, original intent of Congress. Um, it would simply mean that uh, that person would be deemed to be a Native American and subject to the provisions of the Act, the input, the consultation, the protective procedures. It would not mandate his repatriation at all because any tribal claimant would have to establish that it is uh, culturally affiliated with those remains. Can I just and I, I would, at that oh, moment, just for a second, yes. save your thought. The, the, Ms. Barron is saying that, in fact, consultation was prohibited in the scientific direction by the government agencies. You, you support consultation in both directions, I assume, and so does Mr. Bender. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, I, I'm sorry. Let, let Mr. Echohawk finish, but I just but, wanted to make that point. The consultation issue is really important in this discussion. Exactly, and I think it's built into the act on all sides, and no one is intended to be excluded. Now, I don't, I can't comment on the facts of the particular Kinnewick case, whether the particular federal officials may have abused uh, or acted improperly with regard to the particular facts of that case, which has nothing to do with the statute or, or its coverage. Um, uh, and I'm not here today to overturn the outcome of that case because the court did hold that the tribes, tribal claimants were unable to prove their cultural affiliation with those remains. And we're not here today to overturn that outcome, but merely to restore the coverage that everyone thought we had on the statute. And that coverage uh, in 15 years since the date of uh, 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 NAGPRA has not emptied our universities. It has not emptied the collections of human remains. For example, you mentioned earlier that at the Smithsonian, um, in 1989, they had 18,000 remains. Uh, Congress enacted repatriation provisions very similar, saying that those that are culturally affiliated could be repatriated. Well, here we are 15 years later, and there are still 15,000 remains in the Smithsonian. So it hasn't emptied the collection, and I, uh, 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 my fundamental problem with some of what has been said today is I think that the scientific community is overstating 
uh, some of their fears and concerns because we simply have not had that experience in the United States of having absurd outcomes under the statute. And we have not emptied, uh, 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 like there's a hundreds of thousands of uh, remains that are still on shelves uh, under the statute. And so I... I I, uh, I think that many of these concerns are overstated and not uh, 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 com- uh, reflected in our actual experience in 15 years. Ms. Lambert, if I might ask you, um, if, if or was two words were amended uh, to the statute, um, is it your contention that that would largely preclude you from being consulted, from being a part of this process? Is that, is that what your testimony is? No. Okay, no, um, in words. fact, we uh, really have no problem with that, but it depends on the regulations for uh, culturally unidentified human remains. And I think one of the interesting things about the Ninth Circuit Court decision is that it showed that a common sense interpretation is not necessarily the same as a legal interpretation. And that we, we certainly agree with the common sense, and if you look at our literature, you'll find Native American, for those of us who, 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 who study the past here, everywhere. And so I don't think you'd find agreement at that, at that level. However, when you change statutory language, you change legal ramifications. And what we're saying is that we can't really assess what this minor little word change is going to do without being able to see what the regulations are for culturally unidentifiable human remains because they do change the purview of NAGPRA. So on the one hand, we, we support it and we agree and we acknowledge that it was sort of a common sense understanding at the time and everybody agreed about it, but because the Ninth Circuit Court decision has pointed out the difference between that sort of common understanding and, and legislative language and legal meaning, we, we'd like to, you know, ask that this be postponed until we can see what the actual on-the-ground ramifications are going to be, and we can't see that until the regulations are out. They should be out soon. Who knows uh, uh, where the remains of the Kennewith men are now? Who has possession of those remains? They are being curated and presently stored at the Burke Museum at the University of Washington, and they are under the control of the Army Corps of Engineers, which was the agency that had responsibility for the the federal land where the remains were found. They were found on the bank, sort of partially submerged in the Columbia River, and that's land under the authority of the Army Corps of Engineers. So the Army Corps has um, authority over them. Mr. Bender, you can I say something about the timing that Ms. Lambert is talking about? If the, if the Ninth Circuit's interpretation of the statute were to stand, those regulations could not be promulgated because if the Ninth Circuit's interpretation stands, remains that are not affiliated with the present tribe are not Native American materials. And the review committee and the regulations that the department is supposed to adopt are regulations only for Native American things. So I, I understand the feeling that you don't want to, do things unless you know what the regulations are going to have. But I think the right thing to do is to change the statute back to its original intention, let the regulations be promulgated or, and, and consult in the promulgation, because if you don't do that, then the promulgation of regulations would be ultra-virus because it would be about stuff that's not Native American. And the, the committee's authority is only to deal with Native American things. 
Well, we have some other questions. Uh, Dr. Kintig, I appreciate your um, being with us today, and I understand you were involved, or at least the uh, American Association of Physical Anthropologists, the Society for American Archaeology, they were both involved in the discussions that led to the enactment of NAGPRA, and uh, I assume there was, an, there was some belief then about what the specific language meant or didn't mean, particularly with respect, with respect to the term Native Americans. Um, do, you, do you think, it was, was your sense that they were only referring at that point to presently existing tribes? No, I think uh, I agree with Mr. Echolock that at the time, I think that everyone took the definition of Native American to be self-evident. I mean, it, it was essentially what DOI argued in the Kennewick case. It was uh, people we think of, just loosely speaking, it was people we think of as Indians today and then pre-Columbian all the way back. I think that's with the sort of common sense understanding of Native American at the time, and I think that's what we thought, um, and I, as far as I know, that's what Congress and everybody else thought. However, uh, as other speakers have also pointed out, the notion there's a separation between what's considered to be Native American and what is repatriatable under the Act, and what's repatriatable largely depends upon this definition of cultural affiliation. And so much of the discussion, including ones I had directly with Mr. Echolock, had to do very much with setting that standard for cultural affiliation. And I think what Congress's intent was, was to deal with those human remains and cultural items that are reasonably closely related to present-day tribes. But it did that at the stage of cultural affiliation, not at the stage of, uh, of deciding what's Native American. I agree with, with, with Mr. Bender that it would affect this whole consultation process and it certainly uh, a benefit of NAGPRA and certainly an intent of NAGPRA was to uh, enhance that consultation. I think it's been quite successful. All right. Let me uh, say this has been a, a really interesting discussion. I, I did want to point out uh, Ken Davis is over here, the chairman of the Turtle Mountain uh, Tribe in North Dakota. Uh, chairman, thank you for being with us today. Um, this has been an interesting discussion and one of great importance to a lot of people. We understand that. No one would minimize the the importance of uh, repatriation of human remains, and, and I've talked to tribal leaders at great length about this. And there's a there's a there's a backdrop here in which this discussion takes place, and part of it is described by Mr. Echohawk. Uh, there were times in this country when Indian bodies were collected on the battlefield and sent back to Washington for study, and then end up as a set of bones somewhere in a basement. Uh, and that, that's a pretty shameful thing to have had to happen. And I was involved uh, with respect to the legislation, the repatriation legislation that Mr. Echo Hockey described a bit ago. And I was involved in that precisely because this country uh, uh, did some things that were very shameful, and, and uh, we needed to make amends for that and, and try to uh, repatriate the remains to those tribes. I regret it has not gone quite as smoothly or as quickly as many of us would have liked. Chairman McCain, uh, as I indicated to you, went down to the Commerce Committee to offer an amendment. As is always the case, wherever Chairman McCain is, controversy follows. And uh, he, he, seldom, he seldom ever offers milk toast amendments. So my guess is that his amendment has provoked a substantial amount of discussion. I, by the way, have left my proxy to vote against Senator McCain's amendment because we, <laughs> we happen to disagree on this Amtrak issue. But uh, I'm going to be offering an amendment uh, on another bill that's being marked up just following Senator McCain's amendment. But my, 
expectation and his was that he was going to be back before we completed uh, this hearing, but obviously uh, this discussion of his is taking more time uh, in the Commerce Committee than he expected. Let me, on behalf of our committee, uh, pledge to you that, that we intend to uh, look seriously at all of these issues. Uh, we thank all of you for traveling, in many cases, great distances to come to testify before this committee. The hearing uh, is a hearing we held because we think two words or a hundred words, this is important. Words have meaning and consequence. And this is not just some academic or ethereal debate. It's, it's a debate that has great spiritual and cultural and historical significance for the first Americans, and uh, it also has significance for our scientific community, and that's why we wanted to have an opportunity to have an exchange of views. I thank you very much for being here today, and this hearing is adjourned.